It is a mystery that remains unsolved 35 years after her assassination. Who pulled the trigger? And France's secret services been spying on her. And why could they not prevent her death? Did they even turn a blind eye? This is the shooting in 1988, right in the centre of Paris of Dulcie September, who was the African National Congress's representative in France. Dulcie September had a history of activism. She spent more than five years in jail in South Africa during apartheid, where she suffered severe abuse. On her release, once allowed, she moved to London, then joining the ANC before becoming its representative in France, Switzerland and Luxembourg. She pushed hard for France and other countries to impose tough sanctions on the South African regime. This evening, I'm hoping to give uh, uh, the audience information about what is going on in South Africa. What it means uh, to be uh, in a regime, living in a regime like South Africa. What it means to uh, have a state of emergency where the army and the police have full powers. Where there is constant killing, killing, killing. She was assassinated outside the ANC's office in Paris as she was opening up, shot five times in the head at just 52 years old. Her death prompting, well, a huge emotional reaction in the city. Why, though, did she die? Well, her activism had led her to investigate the trafficking of weapons between France and the South African regime. She claimed done through the South African embassy in Paris, despite a UN embargo on the apartheid regime. She'd been harassed. She'd claimed she'd been followed and her phone tapped. Some even allege the complicity of the French secret services in her death. Their theory that she just knew too much. Well, Caroline Dumais, Stefan Carstens and Nadine Theron revisit the story of Dulcie September for France 24. Arcueil La Rouge, as it was known, was Dulcie September's favourite place in exile. She felt safe in this working-class community, and she lived on the fourth floor of this building. Jacqueline, then an English teacher and anti-apartheid activist, helped her with translations. So here lived from January 1987 to March 1988, Dulcie September, representative of the ANC in France, assassinated on the 29th of March 1988 by the apartheid regime tribute by the city of Arcueil. She was a workaholic. She didn't let anything go. I remember a phone call she made to me at 1am. She said to me, do you realise there is a singer who is going to South Africa? There are sanctions. It's not possible. What are you doing? You're dozing? She spoke French very badly, but she had learned the word for dozing. I told her, well, yes, we'll see tomorrow. That was Dulcie. She was really completely devoted to the cause. I nicknamed her the incorruptible. In the last months of her life, she had told the communist mayor of Arcay that she thought she was being followed. Not enough for the French government to grant her protection. She was murdered as she entered her office at 28 Rue des Petites Ecuries in the north of East Paris. Two men were waiting for her. She was killed as she came out of the lift, shot five times at close range, and then shot in the back of the head. 
People disguised as painters had been spying on the office for several weeks. They were never seen again. The activist is now an icon in the mixed-race suburbs of Cape Town where she was born. She had taken refuge in France where she believed she could say anything. She is the only ANC representative to have been executed outside the African continent. 35 years after her murder, her friends can't move on. Yves Laurent, a close friend of Nelson Mandela's lawyer, took up the case and never stopped looking for the truth. He refused to accept that the French justice system had classified the case as a matter of common law and denounced a botched investigation. It took 13 days to refer the case to an investigating magistrate. The public prosecutor asked for the procedure to be halted, I'm pretty sure, and so the judge concluded, concluded and ordered this dismissal. That is to say, there was never a public hearing. It was all done in chambers and in corridors. There was never a hearing. There was never a debate. This means that it is an affair of the state. There is a state-related reason that this file is not something that we've wanted to open for 40 years because it questions the relations between France and South Africa during the whole apartheid period. By persevering, Laurent has succeeded in making himself heard. Last November, at the Palais de Justice in Paris, Dulcie's family and friends were there to support him. A hearing held behind closed doors where the lawyer had 20 minutes to make his case. France has only been recognizing apartheid crime since a new 2013 law was adopted, regardless of the resolutions they signed at the UN Security Council. That's why the murder isn't classified as political. This is tragic. It's aligning France's legal position with that of the apartheid regime in the 1980s. Both countries together disavowed the crime of apartheid. It's senseless for France's image. It's disastrous. It's time for the judicial authorities to get their act together. Dulcie's family has appealed. There's no expiry date for us. Uh, we still want answers. We still um, want justice for, for Dulcie. Um, what did she do to deserve what she got? The French state did not provide information requested by South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission when members visited Paris. Yet Eugene de Kock, a death squad leader, had stated in April 1998 that Dulcie's death was probably linked to arms trading between Paris and Pretoria. He even mentioned the name of a former French paratrooper. But no one ever heard from Jean-Paul Guerrier and no one knows where he is today. In the ANC's archives, there are very few personal notes left of September. It's, it's a French, French mission, and it talks about their correspondence. But the archive documents suggest that she was investigating how the arms trade embargo was bypassed. For example, these notes say that cargo of 2,000 tons left Bordeaux and arrived in Durban under the false pretense of being destined for Argentina. 
The declassification of South African military documents will later allow us to understand the compromises made by European governments with the apartheid regime. In 2017, a group of researchers from Cape Town published a remarkable investigation. They show that some 30 countries allowed the embargo to be bypassed with the complicity of 200 banks. Together with Israel, France was a hub of arms sales back then. It was in this context that Dulcie September was murdered. Um, we did establish uh, that from one source that it is alleged that a South African official moved the gun overseas. Um, we do know from what we understand is that French officials were involved in cleaning up um, her papers subsequent to her murder. Perhaps more important was the motive of this network of people that, that benefited from her murder. Armscore itself had a big operation running for almost 20 years secretly within the South African Embassy in Paris of over 30 officials, some of whom were given diplomatic passports and whose job was to trade weapons with France and other countries across Western Europe. And so there's little doubt that many senior officials in the French government knew about it. Michel Roussin, a former member of the French intelligence services, whose name is mentioned several times at the South African archives, declined to comment when contacted via telephone. He denied that he had any information about the murder of Dulcie September while working at the Paris City Hall in 1988. The relationship between Paris and Pretoria transcends political differences. The Kuburg nuclear power plant, which the French agreed to build in 1974 under Prime Minister Jacques Chirac, was completed in 1985. The following year, Paris sold 66 Super Puma helicopters to the country, which the South Africans adapted and renamed Oryx. A contract confirmed that this transaction was made under François Mitterrand's presidency. In 1987, the French offered the Mistral missile they had not yet used to South Africa to test in Angola. This former South African soldier, who lives near Durban, says the wars in southern Africa were used as a testing ground for French military equipment. We were flying a, a, a Mirage a, a fighter jets. We were flying, flying Super Freelon helicopters. They were the best in the world. We, I love them. I love those things. I was trained as an armoured man in a, in a panard, in a French panard armoured fighting vehicle. In 1987, this man was recruited by the South African services to conduct operations in Europe. He travelled under a false name, Roger Cronin, and he openly shared his archives. This is, this is the level of detail we work to. So these are, these are operational maps, now these are operational plans, and you'll recognise some of this, you'll recognise. You know, there's the étoile, no? He supervised missions throughout Europe until 1990, but he says he was surprised by the assassination of Dulce September, which he now describes as unfortunate. So there you start getting out to the more complicated ones. I'm not aware that National Intelligence Service has ever been involved in, in things like that. Of course, the people are saying that South Africa was trying to, to terrorise or uh, you know, the, the African National Congress, trying to unsettle them. Well, I can tell you that from our perspective, from our mission, that was counterproductive. We wanted our enemy to be comfortable. We liked electronic surveillance. So we liked to plant, plant bugs in different, in different offices. That, that, that gave us a huge amount of information of great value. Now, you get someone that's out there causing mayhem uh, amongst, the, amongst the African National Congress in exile, suddenly they're becoming security conscious and they're no longer talking as freely as they were. So it becomes counterproductive for us. What I can say is we had these cowboys. 
Cowboys were out there and they were very nationalistic. They were very right-wing in many ways. Uh, they were very, some of them were almost kind of like neo-Nazi. The apartheid regime had parallel paramilitary elements made up of mercenaries, mostly double agents, who worked for both Paris and Pretoria. One of them was Richard Rouget, a former right-wing activist who was a suspect in the September case. We met him in South Africa. He claims to have been falsely accused. When he worked with Bob Denard, a French mercenary in the Comoros, he was paid by South Africans who used the island for the transit of arms, which then sailed quietly to South Africa. The trafficking is now known to anti-apartheid activists. This South African worked in hiding for years. He knew Dulcie September. He knows that she was exposed. Dulcie would have reported or would have uh, told what she knew to a grouping in London and a of ANC senior people. And today we can say there were agents, there were people who were weak links, there were people who unwittingly uh, informed the other side. Solly, Solly, reference to Solly. And he shows us in his diary the name Solly Smith, Tulsi's manager, who we now know was an informer for the apartheid police. The organization was infiltrated, or, and some people knew. Why did they not become truth-tellers? Why did they not um, clear this out? What were the reasons for that? Was it because they were protecting people in senior positions, either in the ANC or in the South African Communist Party. The ANC is reluctant to talk about those dark days. Former President Thabo Mbeki, who was in exile in London, and Jacob Zuma, a key figure in the underground struggle, have never spoken out. Only one person agreed to meet us, a former combatant of the armed struggle, responsible for intelligence in Mozambique. The ANC was fully informed. We know more than you think we know. The climate in France was very right-wing, in my view, sorry. In that situation, lent itself to easy recruitment of people who supported apartheid. They were not at risk in their country. They could operate easily. It would have been complicated if they were at risk in their country. They were not at risk then, they're not at risk now. Every year on March 29th, Dulcie September's legacy is honoured in Pretoria. Her name is engraved in the Wall of Heroes, among the 75,000 other bricks with names of apartheid's victims. And every year, someone launches a new appeal. Words are not enough now. Action is needed. And the pressure from us as citizens must be on the South African government to do that. And then to approach the French government and say, we want the documents that belong to Dulcie September that was confiscated by the French police. The family hopes that the two countries will eventually cooperate. If there is no court, no French court, that would be prepared to hear the case 
we're looking at going to a regional body such as the European Court of Human Rights. With the test of time, memories fade and witnesses die. Ironically, the women who fought to expose the truth of an oppressive regime her whole life risks being forever denied justice in France. Caroline Dumay, Stephen Carstens and Nadine Theron revisiting the story of Dulcie Gray for France 24. Well, that's all for this week's edition of Revisited. Of course, you can catch it and the previous editions as well on our website at france24.com. More news coming up very shortly. Thanks for watching.